0: grab your Bible with me, and he turned to Zechariah chapter four. Zechariah chapter four. We've been talking about the comeback. We've been talking about how comebacks are biblical, they're prophetic. They're, God has a rebound, a comeback that just because you're down doesn't mean you're out. And someone who I really admire in this community that's a very praying person, sent me a text this morning in Second Timothy chapter two, verse 20, it says, "In a house there are many vessels, some for noble and some for ignoble purposes. God's talking about his kitchen cabinets. And he says this, if a vessel will cleanse themselves from the former impurities, they will become a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. And if I could just say this to you today, right now might not be your greatest hour, right now might not be your greatest moment. Right now must might very well be one of those times where uh, you want to be holy and clean, but you struggle to be that. I'm not talking about somebody that has no desire to do it but you're you're like I want to be who God wants me to be and all I see is what I can't become I want you to know something all it takes is the that way maker to just wash you in his blood and grace there's enough forgiveness and grace in Jesus to cover over every shortcoming to cover over every sin and to cleanse you and here's the beauty of it that you don't sit on the shelf but that God pulls you from the shelf and uses you to bless the world around you. That's exactly what he did here this morning when Wesley's saying, He took himself as a vessel, allowed God to fill him with his presence, and he poured it out on all of us. And how many of you are saying, that's some good Gatorade here we drank from heaven, right? God can do the same for you. God can do the same for you if you'll let him. He's a way maker. doesn't matter how impossible it is. Zechariah chapter four. When is this taking place? This is taking place after 16 years. Of nothing. The Israelites come back, they have a party, they build an altar, and they just leave it in ruins. And after one flash mob, elevation church, Hillsong United, amazing conference that they have at a destroyed temple that was left in ruin for 70 years, everybody splits. And 16 years, nobody comes back except the leaders. And God says, I need to do something. And so what does God do when he needs to get a message out? He calls on his prophets. And the Bible says in, in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that there were two prophets in particular that God used, was Haggai and Zechariah. And last week, Pastor Dylan gave us such the cleanest message on Haggai chapter 1 that basically was God's way of saying, you're really consumed with your personal life and your personal family and your personal home and your personal stuff and your personal things and your personal 401k and all that and yet it's not happening the way you want it to happen and God said why he said because I blew on it and blew it away because you in your house are taking care of yourself while my house lies in ruins give careful thought to your ways and I love Pastor Dylan how you said this I just I put it in my internal tweet for the rest of my life it's as if God was saying to the people of Israel and like God was saying through you to to my heart last week really is it not the time to build the house of the Lord so when is a good time for you Paul and I've come to realize something that that there is never a good time for anything when was the last time you felt really good about everything not not often but you do and you let your feelings catch up to you later and you know you're not worthy you're not worthy but you're not worthless you're not worthless because Jesus died for you and he loves you and he He doesn't use us. Thank goodness that Jesus doesn't treat us like Wrigley's Juicy Fruit or Trident, whatever your gum is, that he just chews the sweet out of you. And then when you're not useful to him or not measuring up to the standard, that he flicks you and walks away from you. No, you're his child. You're a vessel. You're not disposable. He cleanses us. He has that cleansing available for us. But these two prophets realized that this was a very difficult time. And in fact, if you read in Haggai chapter one and Zechariah chapter one, literally Haggai rightly so last week Pastor Dylan spoke this message because it was in it was in the second it was in, it was literally in the the 6th month of a, a year and literally 4 months later Zechariah comes out with the message I'm going to share with you it's amazing if you want to see how pro, when two prophets work in a tag team and God gets two totally different people from two totally different pages on the same exact page as a coordinated effort from heaven to make things happen. Haggai and Zechariah are those guys that God uses. And in Zechariah, he says this vision, and you'll understand why we have all this stuff, this uh, stuff here this morning. Let me read chapter four, verse one. And the angel talked with me and came again and woke me like one who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see, I, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it and seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it and there are two olive trees by it one on the right bowl and one on the left of the bowl and I said to the angel who talked with me what are these my lord and the angel said uh, the angel who talked with me answered and said do you not know what these are? How many of you need to learn or have something explained to you like twice or three different times? It's me. It's because we're men and men need to hear things twice. And all the ladies said, careful, this could determine your afternoon how you respond to that question. That was a trap. That was a trap. Then he said to me, this is the word, what do these mean? Do you not know what they mean? he He said, no, I don't, my Lord. It's, it's okay to say, I don't get it. Could you explain it again? And so the angel says to him, and he said to me this, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he, meaning this governor, Zerubbabel, he Sorry, I lost my spot. Before you, you plain, And Zerubbabel, you shall, become a, this, you shall become a plain, And he shall bring forth the top stone with shouts of joy, saying grace, grace to it. For God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. And his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised, who who has ever despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. Amen. Father, I just pray that you would speak and you would be heard in Jesus' name. Amen. It gives, this is is where Haggai, I love him, he's my kind of guy because he's kind of like gives you show and tell examples, but Zechariah, he comes from a completely different angle. How many of you find that there are some speakers that uh, that are easier to hear and they're more your flavor, and then there are other people who aren't? I'm not everybody's flavor. Pastor Dylan might appeal to you. I love getting Pastor Caitlin up here because it's like I feel like I'm in a rodeo hoedown, hallelujah, Holy Ghost moment. And I told her she needs to like begin to to train so that she can be more available to us because that girl got a gift of speaking. I will never forget it. Just keep pouring. Just keep pouring. And uh, that miracle, right? Like somebody out there was blessed. Like I remember that message. But, but Zechariah is the kind of guy where God would give him an image and a vision. God is a God of visions, by the way. Now, you have to understand something. Um, people will come up to you at all times and say, I saw this and I saw that. And God wants you to do this and God wants you to do that. You need to be very careful with that. But there are people in this community who have, have shown that their life and their connection to God is very, very clear and clean. And from time to time, they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor Paul, I felt like the Lord put this verse on my heart. Or I felt like I saw this image of, that's kind of like a vision. I saw this image of, and they'll begin to explain it. And I will be like, I know exactly what that's for. I know exactly what that means. That's kind of how this worked with these prophets. And that's the kind of guy that Zechariah that was. God had a way of talking to him that was very different from Haggai. It was very... Um, mystical but God talks that way he does it just always needs to be in line with God's word doesn't it it always needs to be tested by God's word if I could just give you a piece of advice whether it's the counsel of your own head and heart or flesh or whether it's a word that somebody has for you if everybody that you know and knows you well and loves you and that is a spiritual authority and leader over your life is looking at you it's saying no and you're saying yes that's a red flag but this guy was in tune and God speaks through him and I feel like if I were to say what what's the title of this message today it would simply be this someone please turn back turn the lights back on turn back on the lights is that grammatically correct did I spell every word right in this one this week did I is it is it do I get do I get all right I got the spelling down okay good um, Pastor Dylan, this is battery dead. If you could just you know, throw it your way. Yeah. Always on his toes. Always on his toes. Please, uh turn on the lights. Maybe you've said this to your children when they're in their room and you're like, turn the lights on. Or you've probably said this more often, turn the lights off. Those that were at youth convention this past weekend, I happened to you again, they were there at youth convention. Uh, the guys room, the guys go to sleep early, by the way, but them girls, they came back and they look like the zombies, right, from World War Z. I'm like, you didn't get any sleep, did you? And they're like, no. I looked at all the boys, I was like, how is it? And Kevin, Kevin was, uh, who is actually a minister in training, he goes, uh, he goes, he uh, goes, Lights were out at what, 11 o'clock? Oh, uh, you were up late? No, 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 we weren't playing, he said. <laughs> like, they were lights out, and that's it. But what, what is this imagery? It's really, it's really unique that it has in the center here in his vision. He sees a lampstand, and then he sees two, two trees. Now, I know these are palms, but when I say palm, you say olive. Palm? Palm? When I say palm, you say olive. Palm? Palm? Okay, sorry, just playing on culture there a little bit. So olive trees produce olives, which in turn produce olive oil. And in the Jewish culture in the ancient world, oil was the ancient Near Eastern batteries for flashlights and house lights it was the ancient near eastern electricity and so what they had a saying in Judaism the first they would take all of the olives they'd crush them up they'd put them in a basket and then they'd press down on the basket with this with leverage and the oil would ooze out pour down the sides and they'd collect it and they said the first press guess where that one was supposed to go to the lord the first press went to the lord it was the purest it was the cleanest and that was used in the temple then the second press it went to your cooking and the third press went to the lights and to the lantern and this is just how they did it in the ancient world it was the way that that uh they harnessed the power of of light and what would the jewish people call this thing right here menorah menorah it's the lights in fact probably you're familiar with uh, solomon's temple and the layout that was in the tabernacle and solomon's temple and and at this temple that's rebuilt with ezra and nehemiah uh this is this is a temple that's rebuilt and 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 today uh back in the time of jesus it was the th- it was the second temple it was remodified and upgraded by herod and there is an there's a there is a building and a museum right near the temple space today called the ter- third temple institute i used to always hear this stuff like people are like they're preparing the red heifers for sacrifice and the temple's gonna be restored and you can walk into this place called Third Temple Institute and they have everything that's there. And so I asked him, I said, well, if you have everything, why aren't you doing what you're doing? Well, first of all, uh, that, this is a talk for another time. I'm sorry, the teacher in me's coming out. But, but long story short, this was what you and I were supposed to be. Supposed to be the light of the world. That we don't burn a candle a lantern does not burn for itself. It burns to illuminate for all those that are around it. It doesn't burn to serve itself. It services those that are around it. And Jesus said it like this, I have not come, I've come to serve, not to be served. And the greatest among you will be what? Servant. And so he's tapping into Jewish culture and saying, I got a message for you. And it's very, very simple, and yet it's very, very complex. But I'm going to break this down for us because it needs to have street value for us, right? Otherwise, why are we here? What was God trying to say to them? More importantly, what's God trying to say to us? More specifically, what's God trying to say to you? Are we live streaming right now? Could you just pause that for just a second? Audio only if it will destroy it. There's a reason for this, but the reason why these people are here, the reason why these books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi are there, they're all prophets in the comeback, in the return to the temple, to rebuild what was laid waste. They were starting from nothing. But many of them knew what it used to be like. Some of them had no clue, but it was the first time they were regarding the burdens. Think about this. The burdens of the people. These people were surrounded by legacy. There were some people when they were rebuilding this temple, they must have been about like 80 or 90 years of age because they were in captivity 70 years, but there were a handful of people that were in this moment where they started putting the 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 altar back together that we've been preaching and teaching about and I want to meet the person that took that first rock and began it because it always starts with one person revival starts with one person that prays temples are built with one person that starts and then after that you have the first follower and then you have a flash mob movement and then you have revival and this guy I want to meet him after I meet Jesus and all the people that I love I want to find out who is the first person to put that first stone to begin the altar and restore a place of sacrifice where God could meet man and man could meet God. Who is that person? Somebody finally said enough of drifting, enough of doing nothing. It's time that we got back to God and it's gonna mean I'm gonna have to pick something up that's heavy. Listen, getting right with God and getting in alignment with heaven, it is work, it's hard. It means you've gotta move, you've gotta lift. You can't drift. And the, But the moment that you begin to do that, you construct a space And a place in your life where God can begin to move and speak to you. And that's what he's doing here. And this was such a burden for the people because there were some of them that when they all came together, some of them were crying. And the reason they were crying is because they saw Solomon's temple. They saw what it looked like. They saw what the glory of the temple was, God's presence. Everything was just, it says that whatever was in the brightest of white was covered with pure gold, right? They, they saw the massive amount of of. Church paraphernalia. There was an, a limitless supply of religious people. You could hear God's word taught. Everybody seemed to want to listen. And now these people were so beat up after 70 years of captivity and slavery, they're dragging back. And the best that they can do is to put one rock back in its place. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's how I feel when I'm trying to make a comeback. It seems so hard, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. You have to pick up the rock and begin someplace. Because it's never too late for you to become the person that God is asking you to be and become. Not only that, but they they had to turn the light on. We have to shine the light of God on the truth of where we're at and where we need to start. Not where we used to be, not where we'd like to be, but where are you at? If you remember the story of Jacob and God wrestling with him, The angel put him in the the most painful lock and he asks him one question and it's actually the question that his father asked him when he stole the birthright, a thief. He says, what's your name? In other words, he said, who are you really? Not not, not who you're pretending to be, Jacob. Who are you? And he he says, my name is Jacob, deceiver, supplanter. He says, no longer shall you be called Jacob. From this time forward, you be called Israel. Prince with God why because he cleaned up his act why because he had enough good deeds to turn around the bad deeds no that isn't how this thing of Christianity works you're never going to be good enough it's apathy that kills you in this thing it's it's motionlessness it's indifference it's it's not being able to look at that listen there's power in being able to look at Christ on the cross and say that should be me he's innocent I'm guilty there's power in you saying my life is in ruins I, I don't know what to do. It, I remember when it looked like that and now it looks like this and I don't know what to do, but oh God, if you could just do something. And God comes down and he says this, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of healing. And he'll, you, we have to turn the light not only on, on the condition of where we're really at, we also have to turn the light on to the enemy, right? We talked about a few weeks ago how he lies to you, and if he can't lie to you, he'll discourage you. And if he can't discourage you, he just outright tries to discredit you. And and that's it, right? Like, he doesn't want to have an honest conversation. He just wants to shut you up. And so he launches this campaign. And in fact, part of the reason why they didn't have a temple for six, uh, they only had a, a partial altar and no temple for 16 years is because the enemy succeeded at this This strategy of, I'm going to lie to them and say we want to help. And that didn't work. Okay, we're going to discourage them. That didn't work. So then they sufficiently shut the thing down because of reputation damage of what they did. In 16 years, the whole thing shuts off. My goodness. How many times in my life has the enemy come to shut down? How about in your life? The enemy tries to shut down and shut you up. He doesn't want you to sing Waymaker here. And you know what? He definitely doesn't want you to learn the secret that when when Wesley's gone and the keyboard's not playing and the sound team's at home and you're in that dark moment in that dark place and there's no prayer warriors around you, he definitely doesn't want you to learn the secret of tapping into the presence of God in your own life that you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's spirit dwells within you and that same presence that we sing about and we feel and we sense, that thing is yours available 24 seven Every single longitude and latitude location on the face of the earth, any time, anywhere, any place, it does not depend on this kind of stuff. It helps. But we need to shine the light on the enemies that are trying to keep us from God's best for our life. We need to shine the light on our lethargy of all the things that we do that, that are really just a stockpile of excuses that justify why God doesn't have all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength when God says, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I want all of you. And You know what's comforting to me? When God says he wants all of me, I know that that means that he wants me false and all. He's not saying, Paul, I want you to be perfect and righteous and holy and then come to me. That's what I want. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, I want you to give it your best. I want you to give all that you are to me, faults and all, sins and all, flaws and all, and give me all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, because that I can work with. But God can't work with partial foundations. And I find in my life, when I reach these places, what I'm really doing is just enough to get God off of my back, but it doesn't get the Lord into my life. And maybe that's a tactic in and of itself from the enemy. And we need to turn the light on that. Listen, there, was, there wasn't just burdens on God's people. And this, this, the, some of the things I said right here in this room this morning resonate with some of you. You're like, that's me, that's me. I get it. Listen, it's never too late for you to be the person who God wants you to be. This isn't about what you lost. It isn't about what you should be or what you, you could become. It's, it's about letting God be who he is in your life and letting him be the way maker for you and doing what he he does best is taking us and recycling our life and cleaning our vessel and making us the person that we we can be for him so that he can use us not perfect but useful to him I have to say I had a very low week this past week as I was preparing for this and I had a conversation with with a very dear person who I trust but I feel like I'm just going to be honest with you of my struggles. And this was my conversation. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why are we working so hard? And it seems like it seems like such a small thing. Why can't we get people who will say, I'll help usher? Why can't we get people that will say, you need more help in nursery? I'll help. Why can't we get more people that say hey I play music and I I had to to just be honest with you I just was like man Lord this is like we could hire 10 more people full-time and it would not cover what we need to do here because the work of the church is yours to do it's ours to do in fact the Bible says that he gave apostles prophets pastors and teachers for the saints so that they might do the work of the ministry. And anyone who's been on staff in any church will, will tell you the number one thing that everyone will say is, is what, what's, the big, what, what's the biggest thing that you'd need God to do for your church? They, 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 we would probably spiritually say prayer, but you know what it would be? People that will, people that will serve. And this is my friend's church who has 16,000 people in it. It's my other friend who has a church with 3,000 people in it. It's with a church that I was at that has 2,000 people in it. And the thing that they always say is, is we just need somebody that will just be the first person to put a brick there and just say, hey, let me just do a little bit of something. Let me just help. And in my moment of dysphoria, I got this text And I was in this church Friday praying, walking around saying, Lord, you've got to do this because I can't. I can't. I can't. Like, we've gotten good things done here, but man, there's so much more that God wants to do. And it can't depend on me. It can't. And they sent me this text Good morning, Pastor Paul. I was reading my Bible this morning. Let me pause right there. Are you reading your word? Does God have voice in your life? Are you listening to him? Are you speaking on his behalf? If you're speaking on his behalf, are you listening to him? They were reading their word. And then look at this. And I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to stop and pray for you immediately. Are you praying? Are you talking to God? God's plan and purpose for you to shepherd our church. God's plan and purpose is for you to shepherd our church. He sees your struggle with the issues in your home and at the church, and he wants you to be encouraged, and he knows all, that he wants you to know that he's already undertaken for you. You are not alone. As he's beside you at this very moment, I pray you'll feel his peace knowing that he is already, already at work in every area of your life. And then they end it like this Have a great day. <laughs> but that person didn't know that I was walking around this room with tears pouring down my face saying, God, I can't do it anymore. These ushers can't do it anymore. These greeters can't do it anymore. Do you know what? You you know it's amazing. You want to talk about burdens? Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and I have something in common. It's called facility fatigue. Do you know what? Every time there's a bill a project that has to be done, all of a sudden, for some reason, even though I have no experience in this, I have to become the the general contractor, and I have to I have to put down prayer and connecting with people and helping people spiritually and I have to pick up tools and I'm drilling stuff and I'm um and then there there are people there are some of you here man God bless you there are people there there's people that have been coming in and saying I'll pursue them, and I'll say, hey, man, we need help with this. And there was someone who's a plumber in this church that just plumbed a room, the old usher's room, and it's going to become a new family bathroom. Moms, dads, hear me, family bathroom. It means if you've got like three or four kids, you no longer have to stand in the doorway of the general bathroom so that your kids can use it. That bathroom's for you to do that, and the general one is for everybody in general so that we can have a safe, family-oriented place. But, man, I can't take it. It's amazing. I look at the, I look at the driveway and I, I say, how in the world are we going to do that? And, and how are we going to fix this? And how are we going to, and man, God's done so much. I get it. We're not like this. But I'm telling you, I need God to turn the light on my burdens because I don't know how to do this stuff. I can't do it. I can't pastor and do it. But man, we can't do this and usher. We can't do this and watch children. We can't do this and greet people. We can't do this and figure out how to p- pave the parking lot. We can't do this. And the work of God was always intended for you to be a part of it. Always. And you say, well, all right, pastor, like I totally help." I find with my gifts and abilities, it's for me to offer myself to those kind of things and say, Lord, here I am. Pastor, here I am. Pastor Dylan, here I am. Pastor Caitlin, here I am. Usher team, here I am. Man, it's not a difficult thing, but I tell you what, like Zerubbabel, imagine being that guy for 16 years looking at that and they say, I think they're expecting me to just keep bringing rocks for them. And the thing that I'm proud about Zerubbabel for is that he didn't. He didn't. It's our work to do, it's our altar to build. I was at a church, there are a lot of very affluent people there. And I remember flippantly saying, Oh man, I wish somebody who was a friend of mine, so and so, would write that check and make that $7 million debt just disappear. And my friend looked at me and said, No, no. And he said, he said, because then it's his church He says, this is our church. We all need to do our part. We all need to contribute to the work of God. We all need to serve. We all need to give. This wasn't for God to put it into the hands of some one individual to do it. That was Jesus for the cross. But this thing called the kingdom of God is for everybody to participate in. And the whole work was stalled out. And so God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And just like a car that's battery dead, he shows up like triple A and says, flip open that hood, buddy. We're gonna totally jumpstart this sucker. Get ready. Boom. It's like a defibrillation pad in the operating room and it's flatlined, and he goes, Here we go. We're going to wake this thing up because there's life that is possible here. There's life that's credible here. There's life that God wants to bring here. And maybe for your personal life, or maybe for your personal burdens, or maybe for your personal situations. You've got situations in your life that feel flatlined, like some of those things that I just told you. God is a God of comeback, that he wants to come into your life and defibrillate that thing. He wants to jumpstart it again because your life was not made to reflect back on how it was. And it was not made for you to be disappointed in your present on where you wish it would be. It was meant for you to live your life in the life that God gives you in the here and now with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the Bible says it like this, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your might. Do it with all of your might. I think it's time for us to turn the light on for brightness. Now, this is a weird concept, but I think if I explain it to you, you'll catch what I think God's trying to tell us here. Brightness, right? In the ancient world, we already talked about how they fueled things here. I, I, I feel like if you, well, actually, let me read it to you again. Zechariah chapter four, verses two and three. I see and behold a lampstand of gold with a bowl on top of it, with seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the, of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right, of the bowl and one on the left and we know that this is where olives come from and if you have an olive tree it's going to continue to produce tons and tons of olives so there's going to be a constant supply of it and when we think of when we think of uh uh the 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 menorah we kind of think of it like this and we have some pictures usually of like Hanukkah now this is different from it in that the one in the temple had had seven Uh, That was the perfect number of God. Hanukkah kind of puts out some for all the different days of Hanukkah. I like the way that we do Christmas. I don't think I could be Jewish, number one, because of the dietary laws. Give me bacon, baby. But two, I can't wait and string out a gift every day for all of those days. I'll go crazy. Give it to me good old-fashioned Christian style, all my gifts in one pile on that day, and let me rip through them, right? Right? By the way, any of you who have Jewish backgrounds, there was no disrespect to the menorah here. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because if you read what the Jewish people think of the menorah, the whole story doesn't begin with the tabernacle and the, and the candlestick menorah. It actually begins at the burning bush with Moses. And here's what he Moses, it says that he went up to it and, and he saw that it burned, but it wasn't consumed. Do you know that's what God... If, if, if you really are yielding to God and you're listening to God, what you, it, it, sometimes it's not like, I need to say no to more things. Usually I find when people are doing that, it's like they're saying no to the things that are actually gonna help them and they're saying yes to just sitting still and doing nothing and, and actually it doesn't help you grow. Like, it, 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 but there's something to the fact that when the Holy Spirit, when you're yielded to God's will and God's way, that God will, will burn you without burning you out. And that's how God did it with the burning bush. And this is where the concept of the light continually burning before the people is there. That, that some of the things, listen, some of the things that you would think I need to stop doing that are actually things that fuel you, that God will use to reignite you, that will continue to burn through you. And it's not that you need more time on your hands. It, it's that we need to start praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with the times I have? And it was made for the tabernacle, specifically in Exodus chapter 25, to give light on the space in front of it. Think about this. This wasn't a light that shined into the future and say, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be bright. You're going to be famous. You're going to be rich. You're going to be secure. You're going to be helpful. You're going to be hopeful. And it wasn't a light that was to shine on the back to say, oh man, bring back the good old days. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like that. It's going to, no, it was to shine what was in front of them. What was in front of them? The presence of God. That you and I are to be a light shining forth directly for those in our sphere of influence, who God is, where God is. My friend Will, when I talked to him recently on the phone, and he was going through everything, and he was panicking. I mean, imagine, you're about to have 35 to 60 years of your life taken away from you. You don't know if that's really going to happen or not. And I asked him this question, I said, Will, where is God in this? And that's where we need the light of God in our life because if we just look at it from ourselves and our resource and we're not gonna see God, we're gonna miss him, but God's always in the room wanting to bring light to it. And let me tell you what, things don't go the way you plan. This is a sketch on a wall in Jerusalem and whoever sketched this saw the the menorah and they saw the altar. This is a sketch from somebody that was alive that saw this in the day of Jesus, but you know what? It didn't always stick around. Just like the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were away in captivity. The enemy took those things away from them. Listen, the devil wants to take away that space and place for you to have a direct connect with Jesus Christ. He wants you to talk about God. He wants you to talk about past messages, past moves of God. He wants you to talk about future opportunity with Jesus. He wants you to talk about all those things that you care about and A a nice house, a nice home, a nice picket fence and all those things. There's nothing wrong with all of those. But what he wants in your life and what the enemy doesn't want in your life is space where you meet with God Almighty so that you shine for him. Because there are times when God's people took a, a siesta of 16 years, left it like that, and the enemy took all of the articles away into captivity. In fact, that's a picture of the Romans when they plundered the temple after Jesus was dead, buried, resurrected, and the Holy Spirit was going like holy fire across the face of the earth. They were walking away with all of these articles as tribute on the Arch of Titus, saying, Oh, listen, you have to fight for that space with God. And Zerubbabel is so discouraged, he's like, This is it? One big TED talk? One big concert? And that's it? That's all you got? He must have been like, that's all you got? That's all this is worth to you? Like, dude, dude, what do we need, another 70 years? We're 16 into it, 70 minus 16 is what? This is what dyslexic people do with math. We throw the equation out there and the mathematicians figure the problem out for you. 16 years, forget it, I don't want 70, I want God in my now. How many of you want Jesus in your here and now? How many of you need God in your in your complaining, in your grumbling, in your discouragement, in your depression, in your setbacks, in your in your problems, in your diseases, in your cancers, in in your in the coronavirus. Like we need God now. Forget yesterday and just remember it a bit. Yes. And and don't start dreaming of the future because you don't have that. You've got now. What you need is a a relationship with Jesus Christ that is burning bright and that is shining to the world around you and you need God in the here and now. In Jerusalem, they have a golden menorah made of solid gold that stands about this tall and don't try to steal it because they are watching that thing so closely. Any of you going on the Israel trip and we're going on that trip, by the way, but any of you don't touch it because the Israeli Defense Force will be all over you like what is that doing wow it's so beautiful wow that's like walking into a room and saying I'm a Christian I'm a, I'm a candlestick and what's what's the use of that in my life I know lots of Christians so what the church isn't shining. You're the light of the world. Now what's interesting about the menorah that is described is in in this picture it's not the one that was in the temple. It looks like this. In fact these lanterns would be shaped out of clay like this and this has four corners where the ones there had a big bowl that was collecting all of this resource to fire the fuel of these seven lanterns with seven wicks. I've got here an incredible gift from a friend of mine. This is an actual lantern. This is the ancient flashlight. This is a single wick version of what was on the vision that was there. And here's the beautiful part of this. My friend who gave me this is a connected archeologist. So I trust him. This lantern was used in Jerusalem. It was excavated in Jerusalem. And it comes out of the time of the Davidic kingdom, which means that whoever held this lantern saw the face of David, saw the altar that David constructed, And Jesus says it like this this is what's this is a profound moment because this is the first time in 3000 years that this lantern was used 3000 years and when i think of this lantern and i think of our lives and i think of this vision i think somewhere it's with this vision that's given to him. Somewhere back here, there was somebody that hailed this lantern that saw the temple established, that had hope that David was going to do something that walked around with this lantern and as they held it, like some of you, you went through your house and you anointed it with oil and said, oh God, please bless my house. Watch over my family. Maybe that they walked around and they said, oh God, thank you for this lantern, but I pray that your word would be a light to the feet and a lamp to the path of my children, that they wouldn't walk in the way of sin, but they would get on the path to following you with all of their heart. Maybe they sat there and said, oh God, thank you for this lantern. Thank you for the life you've given me. Thank you for what you're doing in the, t- in the house of God and in our life. I just just pray, oh God, every time my children pick up this lantern that they, that they would think of you, they would think of your word, they would think of your spirit and your presence, that they're to be the light, they're to be the menorah, they're to be the ones that shine. I just think that it's possible that somebody that had this, this precious gift that that burned in that time, in that place, was thinking that, and it's burning in our church right now. But here's the other side to the story, and Jesus says it simply like this. And yet so profoundly, you, my friend, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bowl, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that you may see, that they may see your good works and not say, what a great guy you are, what a girl you are, but to see their good, your good works and say, that they bring glory to God in heaven and they look at you and they don't say what a good person. They look at you and they say, my goodness, that's what God does to people. And we're able to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And Jesus has brought so much light into my life and I want to shine it into yours. I felt this recently and I'm going to say it to you. First service, I think it was just on reef because of daylight savings time, sorry. Second service, I can say it nice and gentle, but I feel this is a word from God. I was praying and I felt God gave it for us. You can do with it what you want, but I think it's right there. I believe if I were to put it to words, that sense in my heart, it wasn't like I got a text message or I heard a voice in my room just so very clearly in prayer. I feel like the Lord wants us to know that a time's coming, not just in the world but in this church, that He is going to make a distinction of people. And here's where I want you to listen very carefully. He is not going to make a distinction between people who are holy and unholy. And he's not going to make a distinction between people who are righteous and unrighteous because as Damien said last week when we were doing communion, Lord, we all need a cleansing. When we looked at the priest, we, even the priest in this day needed a cleansing. That's not what I'm talking about. But he is going to make a distinction between those who want him and those who don't and those who seek him and those who just want to be seen as if they're seekers. Because we need Jesus and I think that it's not just a time for us to turn the light on our our problems and our setbacks and 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 all of those things that are and it's not just a time to 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 for God to shine the light just for the sake of shining the light through us but it's also a time for God to shine the light for blessings in our life chapter 4 Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 listen to this this is the word of the Lord's rubbable. Listen to this word. He says, hey, I've said a lot of stuff. I've shown you a lot of different things. Let me just sum this up for you. This, Zerubbabel, listen closely. This is God's word for your life. Look at me. This is God's word for your life. Look at me. This is God's word for your life. This is God's word for your life. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts who are you O great mountain before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain he shall bring forth the top stone amid shouts of grace grace I love grace because grace is God giving us what we don't deserve what's powerful about that truth is really when I think about might and power some of you think about me in the gym you know i just kidding right you don't even want to laugh at that right be like no you're not going to the gym Uh, listen might and power the best example of these words being used in the old testament are found in second chronicles 26 where it talks about king uzziah he was a great king he was a mighty king but he ended up becoming a king with leprosy the bible says this of him that he could make war with mighty power but the bible also says that he was strong and he grew proud to his destruction and one moment came where he said, listen, I'm, a, I'm an important person and I know how to run things and I get things done. And he goes to the temple and he says, hey, priests, get out of my way. I'm going to have a direct connect with God. I'm going to light the menorah. I'm going to offer the incense. I'm going to offer the sacrifice. And the Bible said, no, 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 you respect that office. That's not yours to cross that line. But he did it anyway. The priests, in fact, stood in his way and said, don't don't do this king don't do this terrible thing don't do it but he wouldn't listen to them how many of you are grateful for friends that get in your space and say don't do this please don't do this but he wouldn't listen to them and he pushed past them and the bible says immediately leprosy broke out on his forehead and if you look at this there's a spot I'm gonna you ever have a clicker and then you misplace it I need to help him, Lord. See that? You know what that says? This is the tomb of King Uzziah. Don't open it. No famous final words. No fanfare. No sitting on the throne anymore. All of that power, all of that resource, all of that influence, all of that prestige, all of that. And he died a leper living outside of the city. That's might and that's what power does. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. But I hear the admonition of God for people like you and me where he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. You know what? Some of us are overcome with fear because we're trying to face our fears with our own resource and our own strength and you're not winning because you're approaching it with what you have to offer and God says no put on the armor that I have for you in the power of my might not by might not by power not by your intellect not by your resource not by your networking ability not by your mom not by your mom but by my spirit by my spirit to be a spirit dependent church that's what God wants us to be and listen when this happens church when this happens God begins to do things. God begins to move mountains out of your way. He says to him, he says, Irrubbable, I know the enemy in front of you, the people around you, the situation and the limited thing, resource that you have to tap into, you're kind of looking at this, you're like saying, it might as well be a billion. It might as well be, Mount Everest, because there's no way I can get past this. And maybe there are moments in your life where you're looking at your depression, you're looking at your difficulty, you're looking at your children, you're looking at your spouse, you're looking at your bank account, you're looking at your retirement, you're looking at all these things, and there's just like, it's just this mountain, and you're just like, I just want to like, forget it. And so that's when we crawl back to the good old days. And when, let me tell you something, when your memories of the past begin to cripple your hope and vision for the future. That's when spiritual death really begins. It's good what God did over there, but what God wants to do in the future is irrelevant. He's The future, we don't know that, but what he wants to do is to be the God of your present, not by might and not by power, but by a spirit that God will resource your life with hope, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, with gentleness, meekness and self-control, and that you allow him to burn you the way he wants to burn you you. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 21:21, 21, 21, you if you if he said if you have the faith the size of mustard you say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and it will happen according to his will. Stop staring at the mountain and start praying to the God that moves them. Stop staring at the mountain and start praying to the God that moves them. Stop staring at the mountain and start praying to the God who moves mountains I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to close with this thought and we'll see what God does with this I'm just a man what's amazing is is that when you really look critically at the story of 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 Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple everybody weighs in in different ways here and I'm sure when we get to heaven I'm going to find out things I said that were probably not perfect uh, but this resonated with me I hope it's right in the ancient world, whenever they would rebuild and rededicate a house to gods, they would always gather bricks from the preceding building. And they would put a little hole in the foundation and they would take that, they'd take that block of what used to be that place where what used to happen there and all of the memories with it, and they put it in a space And this is actually one that dates back to around 722 BC. They would just put it in this space. And they say, we're never going to forget who we were. But that's not going to help us be who God wants us to be and become. We're going to put this into the foundation. And we're not going to forget about it. But this isn't what the, the building of this is all about. And that's where Zerubbabel was, 16 years. Imagine being 16 years in a position and nothing happened, nobody doing anything, nobody wanting to help, nobody wanted, and he's like, there's no way, I can't even like, and he lost hope because he was one of the people for 16 years that stopped moving. Don't stop moving, don't stop swinging, get up. Don't, just cause you're knocked down doesn't mean it's over. It's never too late for you to be the person that God wanted you to be and you want, you can become. But this is what was beautiful. This word for the stone that's used here is only used one time in the entire Bible, that's it. And though there's little squabbles on what scholars say the stone is, we think of a capstone, we think of like the center of an arch where everything closes in on it, and that's how the structure holds up an archway. That's kind of like a a flagstone, a capstone, kind of. We think, oh, it's the the stone that, that is the very final piece, that this is a vision where he'll come in with the last block and he'll put it up there. Yes, the Bible says in a few verses later that He says to him that Zerubbabel will walk out with the plumb line. He'll make sure that the, he'll make sure that the walls are straight and his hand started this work and God is going to make sure that he finishes it and God is going to do that with us and God's going to, God did it with him. But this is what's beautiful about this stone is, is that it was considered to be the, the top stone of importance because it was the piece of what they were. And don't you ever forget who you were in Christ, for those of you that have that history. And maybe, maybe you're in a pile of rubble, but what God, listen, last night as I had this brick in my hand, I was in my basement and I was thinking about the areas where I need God in my, my family, where I need God in my life, where I need God in my children, where I need God in my marriage, where I need God in what, the responsibility that God's given me. And I just began to hold it up like this and I said, oh God, grace, grace. I began to weep and I said, Oh God, I just kept saying it over and over again. Lord, you said that He would bring the stone and say, God bless it, God bless it, grace, grace, you give, you give us not what we deserve, you give us what we don't deserve. That's what your grace is. And it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by education, it's not by bank accounts, it's not by resource, it's not by skill, it's not by any of them. It was always by your spirit. And right now, some of you are in that place where you just got one block and a memory of the way it was. And and you're saying oh man how could God ever do anything in my life again Or I remember when God did this and that's all it is for you is a memory and God's saying will you just shine again will you let me burn you the way I want to burn you will you do and let your feelings catch up with you later will you do me a favor will you take a piece of that block yes will you go to a corner of the place of where I want to begin to do something again in your life yes Lord now what do you want me to do with it I want you to bury it And I don't ever want you to forget what I did, but I don't want what I did to be a prison for you of what I wanna do in your life. I wanna give you a hope and a future. I wanna give you a new beginning. I wanna show you things you haven't seen. I wanna do things through you that haven't been done. I want you to dream things that you never dreamed before. And if there's life in your lungs, this story's not over for you. It is never too late for you to become the person that God wanted you to be. And it starts this morning this way, and as the worship team plays, I'm gonna invite you to just simply find a place up here and talk to God. So God, where do you need God's grace in your life? What is the pile of rubble that used to represent a fervent, passionate, obedient relationship with Jesus Christ? Carry that with your heart to this front here this morning and as the worship team sings, lay it before God and here's, here's what we're doing. We're not coming here and saying, Lord, I'm coming to gravel before you know. Lord, my back aches. I really don't want to walk up there. And that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is this, some of you really need God's grace in your life. There's no way that he's gonna be able to change you. There's no way you're gonna be able to change your family. There's no way you're gonna be able to change your situation. But God can say to the mountain, be moved. God can do it through his spirit and you never could. And he's saying to you, will you give it to my grace? Will you give it to my grace? If that's you, that's you. There's a space of grace here for you. I invite you to to take that moment here. Some of you have children and you need to pick them up in a few moments. Find space for God's grace today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I couldn't imagine what it was like being Zerubbabel. I can't imagine what it was like being those people to, to have hope, but yet see it just within your reach and out of your grasp. But it was never about what we could do and it was never about what we couldn't do. It was always about what you wanted to do through us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come back to the altar of our life. We come back to that place where, Lord, and maybe some of us here, we've never been to that place. We want you to be Lord. Build something in our life that when we're gone, that people will look back to it and say, God was in that. God was in them, that God was burning through them. I saw Jesus in them. And God, show us where you are in our situation. Show us where you are because you're in it. We give you our lives this morning, Jesus. We give you our rubble, but we give you our hope, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord, by your spirit.